We are returning to the sermon series through the book of Acts. Uh, We'll be reading this morning from chapter 20. Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan led us through the conclusion of 19, so we pick up in 20 this morning. Uh, This passage has a a travel log at the beginning of it and a travel log at the end. We're going to be focusing on that midsection of verses 7 through 16. But before we read God's Word, let us ask the Lord Himself to open our hearts and open our minds and to open our ears spiritually so that we might truly hear His Word. Let us pray as we sing. After the riot in Ephesus, Paul and his companions departed from there and came together in Troas, and we will begin the reading of the word at verse 7. This is the word of God. It is written. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech, his sermon, until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. 
From where I stand in this pulpit, I have a really good view of everybody in this sanctuary. <laughs> and I'm happy to say that since we've been worshiping in this sanctuary, I really don't remember ever seeing anybody doze off during the sermon, except perhaps for one of the precious infants. Now, I do remember that decades ago in the old sanctuary, there was one particular member, and he was a good and faithful member, who with some regularity, about five minutes into the sermon, would apparently be either in deep meditation on the Word or in a deep sleep. And I'm pretty sure it was the latter. And this member could not claim the excuse of either age or disability. And after the conclusion of each service, he would enthusiastically thank me for such a wonderful sermon. And I was often, to, I was often tempted to ask him what it was about. And I will tell you, however, that even if you are not literally asleep, Pastor Jonathan and I can see you well enough to get a sense of whether you are truly awake and present during the preaching of the Word. It's not that we have some kind of ESP or other uh, you know, special insight. As a matter of fact, most preachers would tell you that, yes, they have a sense of whether someone is really listening to them, really, really with them, really taking in the Word or not. It's pretty simple, really. Think about it. You know, you know when someone is really listening to you or not. You pick up on that by reading facial expression, body language, and other almost intangible signals such as responsiveness in the eyes. In other words, even if you're not physically asleep, an experienced preacher can tell with a fairly high degree of accuracy whether you are truly awake or not. I have to admit, as I, was, as I was thinking about this passage about young Eutychus falling asleep during the Apostle Paul's sermon, I couldn't, if you'll pardon me, I just couldn't help thinking about an episode from the old Andy Griffith show. <laughs> you may remember that Reverend Tucker invited his friend Dr. Breen to come down from New York City to preach in the All Souls Church in Mayberry. And the title of his sermon was, What's Your Hurry? During which Gomer fell sound asleep and started snoring. And then the eyes in Barney's head began to roll back. And he began to <laughs> nod off. And the thing is, we can laugh about that because every single one of us, I bet, knows that sick feeling. It's just awful. When your eyelids feel like they weigh 50 pounds a piece and your head weighs 150 pounds, you know that you're in a fight that you cannot win. Now let me say that although we all can laugh about this a little bit, 
The Holy Spirit did not inspire this passage in Acts 20 in order to provide us with a little humor. Now, of course, we can all chuckle a little bit about ourselves or someone else falling asleep in church. It's a common experience of human frailty. But the fact of the matter is that this is very serious business. It's as serious as it gets. Two weeks ago, in a very powerful sermon, Pastor Jonathan led us through the conclusion of Acts 19, pointing out the direct application to our current cultural context in 21st century America. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to it. If you are here, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to it. Again, there are striking parallels between 1st century pagan Ephesus and 21st century pagan America. And if you're not aware of that, you're asleep. And it's time to wake up. Now today in Acts 20, Dr. Luke tells us that Paul and his co-workers, after a brief separation on their journey from Ephesus, were gathered together in Troas, that's on the western coast of modern Turkey. And it was there in an upper room, the third floor, in fact, that Paul preached a prolonged sermon until midnight. And the room was full of people and many oil lamps were burning, probably warming up the room and sucking up a lot of the oxygen. And poor Eutychus, probably a teenager, bless his heart, who was sitting in an open window, probably trying to get some fresh air, sank into a deep sleep and fell out of the window three stories and was killed. It's really not a funny story. So I want to ask the question. What do we learn from this passage? What does God's Word say to us from this passage? And this, this morning, I'm going to offer two very basic, very basic, very simple answers to those questions. What is God speaking to us about? Number one, the centrality of corporate worship on the Lord's day in the life of the church. The centrality of corporate worship on the Lord's day in the life of the church. And number two, the centrality of the preaching of the word on the Lord's day for the life of the church. The centrality of the preaching of the word on the Lord's Day for the life of the church. So, first of all, let's look at how the account begins at verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Well, let's just start right there. On the first day of the week. On the first day of the week. Ding, ding, ding. Under the Old Covenant, that is in the time of the Old Testament, before the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus our Lord, the Sabbath day was the seventh day. Genesis 2 verse 3 says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. God ordained the Sabbath day as a day of rest in the very beginning. It is a creation ordinance. God set the pattern for us by resting on that seventh day 
And therefore, Exodus 20, verse 8, the fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Jewish Sabbath day was and is the seventh day. And the seventh day is Saturday. And you know, we really need to remember that and get it fixed in our minds. Saturday is the weekend. We worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Christian Sabbath, also called in Scripture the Lord's Day, because on that day, Jesus was raised from the dead. As Christians, we obey the fourth commandment in light of Jesus' resurrection for our salvation. This is what we do because this is who we are, because this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus has done for us. As Christians, we obey the fourth commandment in light of Jesus' resurrection for our salvation, His resurrection on the first day of the week. Now, it's a funny thing, but it's not humorous. That of all of the Ten Commandments, of all of the Ten Commandments, for some reason, obedience to the fourth commandment is often blown off as legalistic. Going to worship every Sunday? That's legalistic. Really? Well, let's just walk that out a little bit. How about the seventh commandment? Sixty years of faithfulness in marriage? Oh, that's legalistic. You would never say that, would you? Let's try the eighth commandment. Honesty, integrity, accuracy, truth, and upright accountability in all personal and business, financial matters, respecting others' private property all the time. Oh, that's legalistic. You would never say that. I hope. So how can anyone say that obedience to the fourth commandment in light of the resurrection of Jesus for your salvation is legalistic? That's nonsense. And it might be blasphemy. Since God's law is holy, just, and good, and God's law is for your good, to bring His blessings into your life so that His blessings might overflow out of your life and into the world for Jesus' sake. As Christians, we obey the Ten Commandments, not primarily out of fear of punishment. No. But rather because we know that all of God's commandments are good and that obedience to His commandments brings blessings into our lives. The same is true for the fourth commandment, especially in the light of Jesus' resurrection. Worshiping God on the Christian Sabbath brings His blessing into our lives. 
Jonathan Edwards wrote, If the Lord's Day be the day on which God requires us especially to seek Him, then it is a day on which He especially will be found. A special day wherein God especially loves to be sought and especially loves to be found. Now do you think about the Lord's Day as that special day ordained and appointed by God on which you are especially to seek Him so that He may be especially found? And so we gather for worship on the Christian Sabbath not only in obedience to the fourth commandment to give Almighty God the honor and glory and worship due to Him as God, Yes, but not only that, we also gather on the first day of the week in grateful, joyful celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord for our salvation. And we meet with Him to be renewed in faith and in our relationship with Him. Now this has been the practice of the church since the first century, as we see in Acts 20 verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together. Other references to Christian worship on the first day of the week occur in the Gospels themselves. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his apostles and revealed himself to them on that first Easter Sunday evening. And then again, John tells us, eight days later, that is, on the following Sunday, that's when Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 contains a reference concerning corporate worship to the first day of every week. And the Apostle John had his vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. So as did Paul and the other believers of the first century, we gather together on the first day of the week. It's what we do because it's who we are, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Parents, teach your children and teach them well. By your example, every Sunday of every week, of every year everywhere you are. Now friends, we can bemoan the secularization of American society all we want, but let's let's just face it. We Christians have no one to blame but ourselves. We, we are the ones who traded the blessings of the Holy Sabbath for the pottage of a secularized Sunday. For some professing Christians, worship on the Lord's Day has been reduced to a matter of preference, a matter of convenience, convenience, really, that is easily bumped, easily bumped, easily bumped, if anything else happens to come up. And as soon as the government repealed the blue laws in the 60s, I can remember thinking about this as a child. 
As soon as the government repealed the blue laws in the 60s, Christians, even in the so-called Bible Belt, evidently took that to mean that God had somehow changed his mind or repealed his own moral law. This afternoon, the parking lots of Brookshire's and Walmart will be filled with cars, I presume, driven mostly by church-going folks. Brothers and sisters, it is the Lord's day. Not just the Lord's morning. But, but it, it, it's not a matter of prohibitions and can't. It's a matter of God's good gift to us. Why can't we get that in our heads? Why, why busy yourself with the business of this world? When the Lord in His goodness, in His mercy, and in His grace has given you a day of rest, a day free from the cares of this world. When He says, when Almighty God says to you, don't worry about it. A day of rest which means resting from all the concerns of this world in order to rest and be refreshed in the promises of His Word and in the enjoyment of His grace and favor. Are you too busy Monday through Saturday? God says don't be busy on Sunday. Spend some special time with me. The Sabbath reminds us that this world is not all there is. Some stores and businesses advertise 24-7, as though that's a good thing. Because this world is all there is. But this world is not all there is. And one of the clearest and strongest ways that Christians make that statement is by observing the Lord's day all day. Now, although we do not ordinarily have evening corporate worship every Sunday, that's not been in our history, nevertheless, we do encourage observance of the Lord's day all day through the gathering of small groups in homes or other fellowship gatherings for further study and prayer or reflection on the morning sermon or simply through spontaneous gatherings for food and friendship and fellowship and if not by way of a group gathering, then by reading scripture or, spirit, or a spiritually edifying book. Pastor Jonathan or I will occasionally say, take some time this afternoon and read through the book, the letter to the Philippians or whatever. I mean, we actually mean that. That's a good thing to do as you observe the Sabbath, the Lord's day all day. So we need to remember, contrary to our secular culture, that Sunday is not our day. It's not our day. It's the Lord's day. And it is to be wholly consecrated to Him so that we may enjoy the fullness of His blessing which He's promised to us. You see, that's not a negative thing. It's the most positive thing it could be. I know sometimes we get all wrapped around the axle and we get all messed up and we get it wrong so that Sunday becomes a day you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. Erase all that off the chalkboard. What can you do? 
Why has God given you this day? To have a special time of fellowship with Him and to meditate on His goodness, His greatness, and to rest in Him and find our peace in Him and be renewed for life in this world in the coming weeks to serve Him. So it's the most positive thing it could be when we consider that the living God who rules over the world, listen to this, the living God who rules over the world seeks us. He seeks us to worship Him and to enjoy fellowship with Him so that He might bless us. And that gets us to point number two. The centrality of the preaching of the Word on the Lord's Day. The centrality of the preaching of the Word on the Lord's Day. God blesses us primarily by meeting with us in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in corporate worship through the preaching of His Word and the administration of the sacraments. Now this passage from Acts 20 is about Paul's preaching of the word on the Lord's day with earnestness and with urgency. He was in a hurry. He was on his way to Jerusalem for Pentecost and he couldn't stay in Troas. He had to move on and for that reason, that night, he he prolonged his sermon Unto midnight, he had, he had more and more which he wanted to impress upon the believers in Troas before he left them. And seriously, in this passage, there's no criticism levied against Paul for his prolonged sermon. There's no irreverent humor about his prolonged sermon putting Eutychus to sleep. Or about the fact that after Eutychus was resuscitated from the dead... Paul continued his sermon until daybreak. (laughs) Can you imagine? But the picture that Luke portrays for us seriously is of believers who are hungry for the Word, so hungry that they'll cram themselves into a room, seating space available only in the open window, And stay up all night to be fed the word of life as though their lives depended upon it. That's the picture. And by the way, there's no blaming or shaming of Eutychus for falling asleep. Everyone was gravely concerned. And Paul went down and took Eutychus in his arms. And here's the picture. Paul took Eutychus in his arms just as the prophets Elijah and Elisha had embraced dead boys, and resuscitated them to life. And and that's what's going on there. Paul, in his apostolic authority, apostolic power, in the role, as it were, of Elijah or Elisha, embracing Eutychus to restore his life, and the people were greatly comforted. And then Paul went back upstairs, celebrated the Lord's Supper, and enjoyed the fellowship meal, and then resumed his sermon until daybreak. (laughs) Now, that's not a typical Sunday here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. But what this passage shows us is a non-negotiable commitment to worship on the Lord's Day with a hunger to hear the Word preached. 
And in this case, with the observance of the Lord's Supper, which, yes, probably did occur every Sunday in the early church. But that's another sermon. But regarding the hearing of the word every Sunday, even though Eutychus can't really be blamed for falling asleep, but nevertheless, let's, let's apply what we can from this passage. Let's just take this passage and think about how it could apply practically to us. First of all, worship on Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. Get that right. Get it right. Worship on Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. It's as simple as that. Make sure you get a good night's sleep. Make sure your children get a good night's sleep. Make sure your children get a good night's sleep in their own bed in your home. And during the day on Saturday, take care of everything you need to take care of. So you don't have any worldly cares or affairs to worry about on the Sabbath day. And when you wake up on Sunday morning, don't, please, don't turn on the news. Don't pick up your phone or your iPad. Don't scroll through the news feeds or look at your email. You get your cup of coffee and your Bible and have your quiet time devotional. Read through the sermon passage for that Sunday. If your house is too busy with young children, we of course. Maybe you get up a little early. You do the best you can. But the point is, you get ready to hear the Word. Warm up for worship. Come prepared to meet God. Now, do you know that we Presbyterians believe that the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God is a supernatural event? It even brings the dead to life in a way that is even more important and more marvelous than the resuscitation of Eutychus. Do you believe that? Sometimes someone from outside our church membership, a friend, will say a very nice thing, a very you know, encouraging thing like, oh, I want to come sometime and hear you talk. I said, well, you know, we can just stand right here and you can hear me talk. <laughs> You're not coming to hear me talk. You're coming to hear the voice of God speak to you by His Spirit through His Word. Do you pray on Saturday night and Sunday morning Begging God to speak forth His word of life into your heart. Speak, O Lord, into the hearts of your family members, your fellow church members, and the hearts of visitors who might be gathered with you on that Sunday. Do you beg God to speak to you and to all who are gathered? Do you pray for your pastors? I know that many of you do. Pastor Jonathan and Scott and I are grateful for that because we depend upon your prayers because our sermons are empowered by your prayers. Want better sermons? <laughs> Pray for your pastors. 
Do you come hungry to be fed? You come expecting to be fed? You come willing to be convicted, corrected, and redirected by God's Word? Do you come prepared to hear and receive the Word as if your life and your eternity depended upon it? Do you listen that way? Now, I don't know about you, but I know myself, and I will tell you, honestly, I know how easy it is for my mind to wander even when I'm listening to a very good sermon. I might not fall asleep, but I might get lost in a daydream. And that's the reason that I take notes whenever I'm listening to a sermon. It's not to critique Pastor Jonathan or any other preacher when I'm out of town. I need to take at least an outline of major words and ideas to keep my mind on the right track, no matter who's preaching. Now, if you don't need to, that's great. But the point is, do you believe, seriously believe, that when the Holy Scripture is rightly exposited and the gospel of Jesus Christ is rightly proclaimed, do you believe that the living God who made you, the Savior who died and rose for you, is speaking to you personally by means of the Holy Spirit through His Holy Word? Don't sleep through it. Either literally or spiritually. I know that this is a congregation who loves the Word. And I'm deeply, deeply thankful for that. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Jonathan and to me. And Scott is learning that same thing. You are a congregation who loves the Word. You are a congregation who loves to gather on the Lord's Day. So this is a word of encouragement. 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 That we continually recommit ourselves to be that people who gather on the first day of the week. Every week. To be renewed in the presence of our risen living Lord. To be fed His holy word so that we might truly live for His glory in this world every day of our lives into eternity. This is who, this is what we do because this is who we are because this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of life, your word of truth, your word of encouragement. Build up your church, Lord Jesus. We pray for the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the word of God, let us stand to affirm our faith as we Say responsively the Heidelberg Catechism number one. Dearly beloved Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has 
without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him. Amen.